Hey, I want to welcome you to the Marty McLean podcast. This is episode three. Today's topic is fear. That's right, fear, F-E-A-R. I want to talk to you about what you're afraid of. Have you ever been to one of those conferences? Have you ever been to a seminar and a speaker gets up there and he gets this intense hushed tone to him and he says, what is it that keeps you awake at night? Now, I don't know about you, but I think uh, a bad taco. But no, he's talking about what is the fear that keeps you awake? What is the fear that is crippling your life? What is the fear that is sapping the strength out of your motivation? Now, we all deal with fear. I want to give you a working definition of fear. It is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat. Now, I know that's a true definition of fear because I got it off the internet. But this fear can be real or imagined. So people have fears, they have anxieties, and they don't know how to deal with them. And their life becomes a life of bondage because they're in fear. Now, I can tell you an episode of my life where I had to deal with fear. I was a student at the University of Georgia. I was a psychology major, and we had to train Norwegian hooded rats. They were wharf rats, a chain of behaviors in order for them to get a reward, which would be a little, little tiny food pellet. So we had to put them in this device called a Skinner box, and they'd have to do a chain of behaviors, and the light would come on, they'd go over there and mash that bar, and a food pellet would pop out, and they would get rewarded. Well, when we were dividing up as to who was going to be grouped with who for the training of the rat, I got a guy that was not a believer to be my partner. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this podcast, Christians attempt to share their faith with non-Christians. We are told to do so in Scripture. We have an incredible message. It's so good. It's called Good News. It's called the Gospel. And so I divided up with this guy who was not a believer with the hopes of me being able to share my faith and him accepting Christ. That's just that's just what we do. So I'm with this guy, we're having to train this rat. One of the things that we had to do is Monday through Friday, we had to alternate days of going up to the top floor of the psychology building, getting the rat out of this little container he was kept in, putting him in a bucket and weighing him. It was for consistency. You know, you have to write all these numbers down and all that when you're doing these experiments. So we alternated days. I did not know that you could actually take the bucket that you would weigh the rat in. I didn't know that you could bring it over to where the rat was and put the rat in the bucket and then take the bucket over across the room and weigh them. Nobody told me or I wasn't paying attention. So what I would do is I would get the rat. This is a, he was a handful. He's a Norwegian hooded rat, a big wharf rat. I would get him in my hand and I would go as quickly as I could to the other side of the room and put them in that bucket, weigh them, then pick them up and take them back. It's just not natural to handle a rat, let me tell you. Well, one day when I did, I didn't have a good enough grip on him, and he kind of squirmed out of my hand and, and curled around, and I was trying to run as fast as I can to throw him in the bucket, and he bites my finger. And when he bites my finger, I let go of him, and he is hanging from my finger. And so what I do is I sling him across the room. And then my fingers is dripping blood all over the place. I go to the next room. There's a girl in there that works, that works in the psychology department. I told her, I said, look, there's a rat that's loose in the next room. I'm not going to go get him. 
and I left. Well, that did not absolve me of my responsibility to weigh that rat every other day. Now, remember, I'm trying to be a good witness to the guy that I'm partners with. And so what I do is I have to still weigh that rat every other day. I did not want to go to my partner and say, look, I'm afraid of that rat. He bit me. Would you weigh him every day? I couldn't do that. So I knew that every other day I had to weigh that rat. I'd go to bed the night before. I'd think about it. I'd wake up in that next morning. I'd think about it. I got to go weigh that rat. So what I had to do is every day, first thing, I had to go straight to the psychology department. I had to go get that rat, and I had to weigh him every day. I had to face my fear. I didn't want to. If I could have gotten out of it, I would have gotten out of it, but I couldn't, so I had to face my fear. Now, I learned a lot about that. I learned how to, to manage what, what I thought. I, I learned how to you just have to go do things. You cannot let fear control your life. Now, I know with this coronavirus, the COVID-19, there's a lot of fear. I go into some places, and you can almost cut the fear with a knife. It's amazing how fearful some people have become. And I, I still don't understand why somebody's in a car by themselves. Nobody else is in the car with them, and they're driving with a mask on. I still don't understand that part. But anyway, we've been given conflicting information from the World Health Organization, the CDC. You hear different personalities on TV telling you different things. You, you hear different reports that asymptomatic people can be contagious, and they say they can't be contagious, and they say they can be contagious. They say, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. So there's a lot of uncertainty, and people have gotten scared. Matter of fact, there's a, a new phrase that they've come up with. You've heard of FOMO, the fear of missing out. Now they have a new phrase called FOGO, the fear of going out. That's right. We have people that are afraid to go out. Now, I knew this would happen because you take people and you isolate them for so long, it's going to be hard for them to socialize again. It's going to be hard for them to, to not go out and to not worry about catching something from someone, touching something that someone's touched. You can see it. And people have to learn how to deal with their fear. And we're going to talk about fear because people just don't have a fear of the coronavirus. People have a fear of their past. They have a fear of rejection. They have a fear of death. I mean, there's all kinds of fear that people are living with that people experience. And what we want to do, what I want to do in this podcast today is I want to try to help you to be able to get a handle on your fear. And I want to help you to be able to conquer that fear and live the life that God wants you to live. Hey, let's delve right in here. Let's talk about the fear of the past. A lot of people have a fear of something that's happened in the past that was not dealt with. They have a fear of how it's going to affect them in the present. Sometimes they've just not gotten it right with God. They've not gotten it right with others. And there's something from the past that causes you to have fear. Now, I'll take you back to when this first started. Now, as you remember, I am a Christian, and I believe the Bible. I believe it's the Word of God. And you go to the book of Genesis... And I do believe in a literal Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. God tells them, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat thereof you shall die. Of course, Eve is deceived by the serpent, and Adam partakes. And something enters into their existence that previously they had not known. There, there was an emotion that came over them. It was the emotion of fear. As a matter of fact, they got the fig leaves, didn't do it. 
uh, still had that fear. God says, Adam, where are you? And in Genesis 3.10, Adam says, I heard your voice and I was afraid. So the, for the first time in human existence, fear entered into the world. And it was a part of alienation from God. Adam was not right with God. He had transgressed the command. Sin had entered into the world. Things have now changed. But fear was a part of that alienation from God. And it happened right off the bat in the Garden of Eden. So when you have something from your past that's not resolved, there's that fear. There's a fear. Will I be found out? Will the other shoe drop? You know, in the Bible, one of the biggest heroes in the Bible is King David. We know him as a shepherd boy who took took a rock and hit a giant upside the head, cut the giant's head off. Uh, he became a man of valor. Uh, he eventually became king, King David. But there was a time in David's life where he got careless. He actually impregnated another man's wife, which that's a little bit more than careless. That's just, that's just wrong to the nth degree. And not only did he get another man's wife pregnant, in order to cover up for his misdeed, he had that man put to death in battle. So he was an adulterer and a murderer. And he went months without saying anything about it. He went months without confessing it. And finally, he is confronted by a prophet named Nathan. And David would write a psalm about his repentance, about how he felt prior to that time of getting things right with God. In Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, he says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. What he's saying is that, man, when I, when I had that in my past that I had not dealt with, I felt heavy. I felt like I was drying up on the inside. He had to get it right. Now let me just say this. If you have a fear of your past because of something you've done and you've not come clean about it, think about this verse, Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So it's not going to do you any good to cover your sin. There needs to be confession. And you need to forsake. As far as God goes, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be made clean, but we got to admit that we need to be made clean. We got to admit that we've done some stuff that's gotten us dirty. Now, do you have something you need to get right from your past? Why don't you get it right? Sometimes our life goes from a Hallmark movie to a Lifetime movie. And... We need to get some things settled. So if you have a fear of your past, something you need to get right, why don't you get it right? Confront that fear of your past. Take it head on. Now let's kind of switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the fear of rejection because a lot of people are afraid of rejection nowadays. And I think a lot of it comes from social media. People are in love with social media. Well, like I've heard somebody say before, if they make you, they can break you. And I think a lot of people have been made by social media, and they're afraid having been made by social media, they can be broken by social media. 
And so there's this fear of rejection. I mean, we, we have terms like shadow banning where they think, you know, they make you think that uh, people are seeing your stuff and they're not. They, they put you in a little bubble that you can't get out of, but you don't know you're in it. You've been shadow banned. You have cancel culture where people just turn against you. Nobody, everybody wants to delegitimize you. They want to do away with you because of something you've said or tweeted or put on Facebook or you've not identified with the right cause or, or you said the wrong thing. You have people that engage in virtue signaling where they want other people to know, hey, I'm a good person. I'll let you know that I'm, supported, I'm in support of whatever it may be or I'm against whatever it may be so that you know that I'm a good person. And it's almost like if you don't put something out, if you don't tweet something, if you don't put something on Facebook, then people will think badly of you. And there are some people that have experienced a certain level of rejection because they did not put a positive or a negative statement about something on social media. It, it is getting to the point where, you know, this is ridiculous. And I think we are reaching that point in our culture today. And so everybody's afraid of rejection. Now, what, what do we need to do about fear of rejection? Now, rejection hurts. Let's just be honest. If you've ever been rejected, maybe it's a, a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe some pursuit in life, you've experienced some rejection, rejection hurts. It just, that's just how it is. But you cannot live with the fear of rejection. Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, he never sinned in word, thought, or deed. I mean, he did everything right. He thought everything right. He did everything right in every relationship. Yeah, here's what the Bible says about him in Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, he is despised and rejected by men. But he did everything right. He is despised and rejected by men. John 1.11 says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He was rejected. They crucified him. The Apostle Paul, who was perhaps the greatest theologian, preacher, evangelist of all times, there's a particular church he ministered to. It's the church of Corinth. And here's how he summarized his ministry there and his relationship with them. In 2 Corinthians 12, 15, Paul says, The more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. The more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. So the more I pour out, the more it makes you not want to give back. That's rejection. But you cannot let the fear of rejection prohibit you from doing what you need to do. Because if, if you live by the fear of rejection, then you're going to make some decisions you ought not to make. And you're going to do some things that you more than likely ought not to do. As a matter of fact, there were some people during the time of Jesus, when during his ministry, that they really believed that Jesus was who he said he was, but they were afraid to let other people know it. And here's what it says about these people in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, that being Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. In other words, they were more concerned about being accepted by men than they were about doing what God wanted them to do. That's why Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a trap. It brings a snare. So what is it with the fear of rejection? Are you currently making some bad decisions because you don't want to be rejected? You know, some people get involved in a relationship they all not be involved in because they don't want to be rejected. Some people engage in activities that they know they should not do because they don't want to be rejected. Some people fail to speak up 
and give a biblical response to some issue because they were afraid of rejection. And I think it goes back to who are you trying to please? Do you love the praise of man more than the approval of God? Let me tell you, if you do have a, a fear of rejection, you're not alone. I mean, it's a, it's a common fear. People have it. Uh, and there will be rejection in this life. So if you've been rejected, you know the hurt, and it's probably not going to be the last time you'll be rejected. But you have to know how to, to handle that, and you cannot let the fear of rejection lead you in a direction that you ought not to go, lead you to engage in behaviors that you ought not to do. You've got to know where your acceptance lies. And, and let me tell you this. You are of infinite worth because you've been created in the image of God. You are of incredible value because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's where your worth and your, your, your value comes from. Now, if, if you really want to live life from a, from a position of strength, that's, that's a good starting place. Man, I'm created in the image of God. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I, I am that valued. I'm that loved by God. So I have an acceptance that no one else can take away. And it's from that point that you can go forward. It's from that point that you can have that security uh, that you need to have in life to do the things that you need to do. Now, kind of segueing from people having a fear of rejection, let, let's talk about a, a fear of failure. Now, the fear of failure is real. Sometimes people don't do what they know they ought to do because they're afraid they're going to fail. Some people won't take a step that they ought to take because there's some risk involved. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't play with, you know, I played with action figures. I had Johnny West. I mean, he's this big old hard plastic guy. But we also had the evil Knievel dolls. We had, I don't know how many evil Knievel dolls. We even bought the different jumpsuits for the man to wear. That's kind of kind of weird thing back on it now. But, yeah, we bought the Evil Knievel jumpsuits. We didn't wear them, but, but we put on a little action figure. We had this van. Uh, we had the ramp. I mean, we were Evil Knievel fans. As a matter of fact, uh, it is said that they sold over $300 million worth of Evil Knievel merchandise. I mean, Evil Knievel himself made, by his own admission, he said he made $60 million, but he spent $61 million. But uh, anyway, Evil Knievel, he's this guy, rode a motorcycle, and he would jump over things. He jumped over all, all, I mean, all kinds of things that man would jump over. He even, he even jumped over the sharks before Fonzie did. Matter of fact, he inspired Fonzie. But you, we, we all know you don't want to jump the shark. Anyway, if anybody should have had a fear of failure, it would have been Evil Knievel. Now, I'm not the first one to, to, to talk about Evil Knievel with a fear of failure, but, but get a load of this. From 1965 to 1977, he made 81 jumps. 63 of them were successful. That means 18 were not even some of the ones that were successful when he landed was not good. As a matter of fact, he is in the Guinness Book of World Records. He had 433 broken bones. Now think about it. You only have 206 bones in your body. So some bones he broke multiple times. But if anybody should have had a fear of failure, it should have been evil Knievel. Why? Because when he, when he failed, there were consequences. When he failed, it was not going to be good because he's way up in the air on a motorcycle. But here's what he said about that. This is a quote. He said, when you do what I do for a living, you have to have a positive mental attitude. When the positive mental attitude isn't enough to get you across that jump, 
you have to be man enough to deal with the circumstances. He said, in my case, I'm man enough. That's what Evil Knievel said. Now, he also said this, quote, I always did everything by the seat of my pants. And that's why I got hurt so much. Evil Knievel. So we know people like Evil Knievel. Well, there's, when he fails, there's going to be consequences. But that's, that's life. That's life. You've got to be willing to take risks. Here's what John Piper said in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He said, risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. Think about it. When you take a risk, it does actually expose you to the possibility of loss or injury. Here's what R.C. Sproul, famous theologian who just recently, not too long ago, passed away. Here's what he said. He said, quote, when I became a Christian, I understood that Jesus took my sin away. What I never heard from him was that he intended to take my backbone away. So when you take risk, you've got to have a backbone. You've got to be able to deal with the, the, the fear of failure. Then that goes back to, okay, who determines success? Well, I think God determines success. That's what we're told in the Bible. Don't judge anything before it's time. Kind of makes you think back on Orson Welles. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 6, God calls Isaiah to be a prophet. And he tells Isaiah the, that the more he says, the less people are going to hear. The more he shows them, the less they'll see. The more he explains to them, the less they're going to understand. As a matter of fact, he's not going to have the success that he would want to have in the immediate future. But he was a go, and he was to do it. As a matter of fact, Isaiah would eventually be sewn in two when he was hiding in a tree trunk. Can, anyway, but he was supposed to do it. And, and we know from the book of Isaiah, I mean, you think about all the rich, wonderful stuff we get from the book of Isaiah in the Bible that Isaiah the prophet would write. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring, bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Verses like, for unto us... Uh, Child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his govern government and peace, there shall be no end. I mean, he would write verses like that, but in the immediate context, he was not as successful as he would like to be, but in the later context, in the greater context, extremely successful. So what you have to understand is that you have to let God determine success. So if you have a fear of failure, you just do what God wants you to do. Seek godly counsel. Seek first God's kingdom. Do it with His strength. Do it with integrity. And let me also say this. There is really nothing wrong with praying for success. We have some ex examples in the Bible. Genesis 24, 12. Abraham sent his servant out to find a, a wife for his son Isaac. And the servant prays for success. In Genesis 24, 12, he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Tell you what, when your boss man sends you out to find a wife for his son, I think we, you would need to pray for success. There's a lot hint, uh, riding on that one. Also, Nehemiah, before he asked the king of Persia if he could go back and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, he prayed for success. So pray for success. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me add this in there. There, is, there are consequences if you don't take a risk. There are consequences if you let the fear of failure lead you into in action. As a matter of fact, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egyptian bondage and they're headed to the promised land, I mean, they've seen God bring the ten plagues upon the Egyptians. They've seen God part the Red Sea. And then God said, okay, you got to go into the promised land. Now, in that promised land, 
there were big people, huge cities, tall walls, very well armed. And when they got to the edge of the promised land, before they entered in, they were at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And it was at that place that they decided, you know what? The walls are too big, the people are too strong. We don't want to go forward. We're not going to do it. They were afraid of the fear of failure. Why? Because the people that were on the other side of those walls had bows and arrows and spears, and if they failed, there were going to be some serious consequences. But God said, go forward, do not be afraid, I'll be with you. You're going to do this. But they chose to live in a fear of failure. And because of that, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And that generation passed off the scene. And a new generation came up. And they were the ones that got to enjoy the promised land. Also, you remember when Jesus told the parable about a, a landowner who went away. And he left his resources at the disposal of three of his servants. He gave one servant five talents, one two, and the other one one. And the one in five and the one in two. While the master was gone, they invested theirs. And they doubled it. When the master came back, they said, hey... You gave me five, here's five more. You gave me two, here's two more. He said, well done, that good and faithful servant. But the one that he gave one to, he was scared. He didn't want to take a risk. And so what he did is he went and buried that in, a ground, in the ground. And, and when the master came back, he said, look, I knew how you were, master. So you gave me this, here it is. I'm giving you what you gave me back. And the master's like, you didn't even put it in a bank so he could draw interest? The master was very displeased. The guy wouldn't even take a risk. And the master took that away from him and gave it to the one who had more. He's very displeased. Let me just say this. Do not let the fear of failure lead you to inactivity. Now, let, let me also add this. I have taken risks in life, and they haven't always turned out the way I want them to, but I, I tried to do it with prayer. I tried to do it with dependence upon the Lord. And I, I figured out I've learned a lot through times where it really didn't turn out the way I, I may have wanted it to, but I've seen how it's benefited the lives of others. And sometimes... When you take a risk, it may be for the benefit of someone else. That's why you do what God tells you to do. That's why it's very important. So don't live with the fear of failure. God wants you to do something. Do it. Just do it. Now, I want to close out with this. I want to, I want to talk to you about the fear of death. We talked about the coronavirus earlier. There are people that are scared. As a matter of fact... There is a Harvard psychologist, he's a professor, his name is Steven Pinker. And he's upset with Christians because he believes Christians are trying to rush the process of opening back up the economy. Why? Because Christians believe that there's a hereafter, that uh, there's an eternity, and they're not as concerned about the here and now. Here's how he puts it. Quote, Belief in an afterlife is a malignant delusion. It devalues actual lives and discourages action that would make them longer, safer, and happier. Now, that seems pretty preposterous for him to say that, but uh, that's his take on it, that people be that believe that uh, there's a hereafter and they're not as captivated by the fear of death as others who maybe believe that this is all there is. He believes that they're willing to take more chances. Now, why is it that we have such a fear of death? I I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for almost 40 years. I know that the days of my life are in the Lord's hands. That when it's my day, that's it. And I believe that God has the measure of my days. I really trust Him with that. So I can live life. I don't have to live with the fear of death. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it talks about those 
who before they accepted the gospel, they had lived in the fear of death. But you don't have to live in the fear of death. Why? Because Christ conquered death. Christ was resurrected from the grave, a literal bodily resurrection. You say, well, well, I see people being laid in the grave all the time. Their body's not coming out right now. What's going on with that? Well, Scripture says for believers that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That when you die, your spirit goes to be with the Lord, and the body will suffer corruption. It will suffer decay. And I think that's the part that really kind of bothers us. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, the whole process of when, when, when the life leaves somebody's body, you can tell they're gone. I remember with professor at seminary I was at, uh, he told students one time, class my friend was in, he said, when he dies, that uh, don't cry for him. When you go up there and see his body at the front of the church, that that's just the shell, the real nut's gone. That, that guy's out of there. That's just a shell left behind the nut's gone. For Christians, we believe that our spirit goes to be with the Lord. The body's laid to rest. But that body will suffer decay. It's part of the curse of sin. What Adam sinned in the garden meant that we would die physically. We would die physically. There is a physical death. Just like when you pick a piece of fruit, and after you remove that fruit from that life-given tree, that fruit will eventually rot. These bodies will eventually rot, and that kind of messes with us. It really does. That's why people are doing all kinds of things. You know, I remember reading about Ted Williams when they froze his head. Uh, other people pay $200,000 to get their body frozen. Uh, Luke Perry was zipped up in a mushroom suit and buried. They put spores in the lining of, of, the, of the suit, and it helps decompose your body. There are some people that they are, they are zipping up in a pod, planting them in the ground, and then planting a tree over them, and their body will decompose and, and provide nutrients for that tree as though that's how they continue. And sometimes I don't know if this is just a desperation to have some type of significance after death when you don't have a faith system that gives you that security like Christians have. There is a fear of death. And there is a fear of death because we see what happens to the body when people die. And it's not pretty. Regardless of however you try to preserve that body, that body will suffer decay. And there are some people that are so environmentally conscious right now, they don't even want to be cremated because of the flames and the, and the byproducts released from cremation. As a matter of fact, I read that 16% of mercury poisoning, poisoning in the United Kingdom is a result of cremation. When they cremate people and the feelings in people's teeth, it releases a, some type of mercury. Very interesting. So they will have their body dissolved in some type of solution in their bones pulverized in order to be environmentally friendly. Some people have their remains put in coral reefs or shot up into space. But we have a fear of death. But I want to tell you, you don't have to fear death. I, I love what Jesus said in John chapter 11 as he, ra uh, he went to the graveside where Lazarus had been laid to rest. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And just like Christ had a literal bodily resurrection, one day our bodies will be changed. They will be resurrected from the grave. So I know that when I die and this body is laid to rest and my spirit goes to be with the Lord, at some point 
at some point when the Lord comes back, when Jesus returns in that day of final judgment, that my body will be raised from the dead. It'll be reunited with my spirit for all of eternity. That's a good thought. So even as I age now, you know, and, and as you age, it's kind of a managed decline. And you see certain abilities start to just kind of leave, kind of get out of your grasp. And you know, okay, I'm past my prime, but I want to manage this decline. And certain things you just won't get back. But within all that, when you have a strong faith in eternity, that Jesus has paved the way, that your sins are forgiven based upon his, his sacrifice on the cross, and it was confirmed by the resurrection from the grave and, the, and his ascension back up into heaven. There is that, that, that calming, knowing that it's going to be okay. And you don't have to live in the fear of death. Now I want to ask you, as we kind of close out this podcast, are you afraid to die? Are you afraid of death? Fear of death will motivate you. You won't take chances. Fear of death, it'll debilitate you. You've got to get that dealt with. And I just want to give you just a word right here. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, I believe what Jesus said about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, No man comes to the Father except through me. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's not in that grave. I even heard on the radio the other day some... Secular commentators said, hey, man, there's only, just one, there's only one person that came back from the grave. There's only one person that conquered death. That's Jesus Christ. And that's true. And, and the Bible lets us know because he lives, we will live also. But you have to have that relationship with him. And if you don't, just admit to God that you've sinned. You know you've sinned. I know I've sinned. I've, I've sinned. I've done things I shouldn't. God's put an inner awareness within us. We've done things that are wrong. It's God I've sinned. I believe Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins. Because, remember, I said this, I think, in the first podcast, somebody pays for your sins. Either you pay for them for all of eternity or you accept that Christ paid for your sins on the cross. The wages of sin is death. He died with our sins upon him. So that payment's been made. If you want to say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I give myself to him, asking for forgiveness and making him Lord of my life. The Bible talks about being born again. The Bible talks about being forgiven, having a place in eternity. I want you to know that because you do not have to live a life of fear. Hey, now, I want to thank you for being with me today for the Marty McLean podcast. I hope this has helped you somewhat with your fear. If you do have that fear of failure, if you do have that fear of rejection, if you have that fear of the past, maybe you can get some things right. Maybe you'll be willing to take a risk if that's what God wants you to do. If you you really feel like you need to take a step, take it. But no, anytime you take that step, you've got to put that in God's hands. But don't be paralyzed by fear. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And boy, we need a sound mind right now. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. I'll see you next time on the Marty McLean Podcast.